But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Lin, and I'm Jesse Lin, and welcome back to "But Where Are You Really From." Today we are continuing our saga in finding Asians who are doing cool shit, and we have a special guest today, Anna, who is. One said Asian. So I will let Anna introduce herself before we get into the meat of the conversation. Um, and you can intro yourself and or if you want to lump in our signature, start a question, but where are you really from? Um, feel free. Yes. Uh, so I am Anna or Lei Ngoc Sung. And I am Vietnamese American. When I am asked, where are you really from? I try to do that thing where like I mess with the person and I'm like, oh, like this state. And then I just get more and more specific (laughs) within like the US until like they get frustrated or whatever. Um, Because we both know what's happening when they ask that question and I just keep being mean about it. And so it's just like a a game of chicken. Uh, But when I'm asked that question, uh, my preferred answer eventually is my parents are from Vietnam. Um, And I say that because it's it's super intentional, as in, you know, both of my parents are U.S. citizens. They have been for decades. Um, I think this year marks the year that my mom has lived in the U.S. as long as she lived in Vietnam. Oh, right? wow. wow. Yeah, right? So, um, yes, they they are Vietnamese. They were born in Vietnam. I carry that culture. But also, I was born here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that, like, really is what they want to know. So without being uh, disingenuous, saying my parents are from Vietnam uh, you know, answers their question while not feeling like a sellout or whatever. Yeah, it's very similar. I do like to make people guess a little bit, though, because oh. people who try <laughs> to guess the race are often very, very wrong. And I just like to play with that a little bit. And then and then I also default generally to like, oh, my parents are from Taiwan. Right. And what's so interesting is sometimes you don't even have to ask them to guess before they tell you what they were guessing anyway, oh. you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm like, you know, they, I'm like, oh, my parents are from Vietnam. And they're like, oh, okay. Because I was thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm, thanks for <laughs> telling me. I really did not care. Um, in recent years, I've gotten a lot of Pacific Islander. Mm-hmm. I get that pretty mm-hmm. often. But when you ask, like, Vietnamese people from Vietnam, I always get... Um, either like Korean or Chinese. Yeah, starting it like in my late in my late twenties, I uh, like developed a fuller body, gained a lot more weight than you know I had been um, the first twenty five years of my life, uh, and so that made it so that the difference between what Vietnamese people thought a Vietnamese woman looked like and what mm. I looked like uh, mm. departed much more. So. I feel like there's a common thread of like, we're not really fully here and we're not fully there either. Yeah. Cool. 
Well, okay. So now we know where you're from. What about, so what do you do? Cause we want to highlight what cool shit you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I have to preface this with my views are my own and not representative <laughs> of any politician or employer, past or present, blah, blah, blah. So I work in policy and that means many different things. At first that was uh like analysis, the spreadsheets. I got into mapping. Um, and before my current position, I worked in the U.S. House of Representatives, um, mm -hmm. actually for um, the congresswoman who represented us uh, when we were students at NYU. Uh, so oh. that was pretty cool. I was working on the Hill, um, super excited. You would just be like in the hallways, like, oh, there's John Lewis. And like, there's like, Nancy Pelosi, super tight. And, you know, these buildings have been here forever and so much happens here. Um, but then uh, about June of last year, 2019, right, um, I started working for uh, the state Democratic Party in my home state. And I am the operations manager here. And uh, it's kind of one of my dream roles because I've always wanted to do the behind the scenes work, the non-politics of politics, um, mm. because I am not meant to be a spokeswoman for anyone. <laughs> Nobody wants me like I will just like say terrible things or, you know, just like people would just tear me apart. I just have, have never had a very good filter. Um, or I've never been very diplomatic. That's a good word for mm -hmm. it too. Right. Uh, but I am really like organized and logic driven and able to problem solve. Um, and so I apply that to my work. Um, and that is, uh, different. Uh, over the course of a year or an election cycle, this time of the year is solely focused on get out the vote efforts. I coordinate a lot with our candidates to make sure they are um, able to get in front of voters, rally the troops. And it's been super weird, of course, with the pandemic. Um, mm. In a non-pandemic year, we would be um, going all the, like across the state and knocking on doors and like hauling microphones and signs and all that type of stuff. But uh, it's not as sexy this year. It's like me sitting <laughs> like with my my word documents and and uh, highlighting and bolding and stuff like that, uh -huh. uh, crossing items off my checklist. Um, and I would say the other part of it is the events, our big events, like when we would do fundraisers, I'm like the linens person or like the programs person, making sure catering, security. Yeah. Um, this year we had national convention that would have been in Milwaukee. That would have been me, our state convention. That was my role too. And so, you know, we had spent over a year getting ready for these events, did all of this planning just for like in like April for us to be like, okay, that's really nice. All of those things that we did, let's like go back to the drawing board and mm -hmm. figure out how we're going to do this virtually. So it sounds like you do like 30 jobs in one. <laughs> um, and like some of those things I'm like, okay, okay. I can see like Asian parents getting part of what you do of like, you know, there's like organization, there's like problem solving, but politics isn't like a traditional career path that Asian 
immigrants, especially immigrant parents, right, who like come here to start a new life are imagining that their kids will end up choosing. How did your parents feel when you were like, I'm going down this path and like how supportive are they of you currently? Yeah, my parents were and are um, very typical of Asian parents in some ways, but not in others. So um, my dad is physically and mentally disabled, but like my whole life. And so he doesn't work. Um, and my mom, she raised uh, us three kids on multiple low paying jobs at any point in time, minimum wage worker. Um, the only thing she ever, ever wanted from her three kids was for all of us to graduate from college, which we did. Yay. Uh, Yay. Yes. Yes, so much um, happiness there. And really, she did not care if we stuttered, studied underwater basket weaving, if we studied <laughs> like film or like witchcraft, whatever. She's like, you go get this degree because I wasn't able to go to school at all. She was not able to go to school at all. So she's like, as long as you're a good person and you get this degree. You know, that's all I want. And, um, you know, she worries about, you know, her kids, whether they're happy, whether they're like able to take care of themselves and like have resources as long as like she just doesn't want us to struggle the way we did um, growing up. And so in that way, she's super supportive. Um, but what makes my parents very characteristically Asian, however, is they have no idea what I do. <laughs> you know, like for a long time, many, like at least two years, my dad continued to tell people that I was a teacher, which is fine. <laughs> You're just fine. You do that because it's a very revered occupation. And I'm like, okay, whatever sticks. Um, and now he's kind of like, she works in an office is what you know, he tells other Asian people and other Asian people are like, uh, okay. Okay. Sometimes they say like you work, they work, she works for the government. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, uh, that's, that's the weird part. And, um, what's really telling and has been like monumental in the last few years is my mom has been eligible to vote since like 1988 or whatever she only voted for the first time in 2018 what yeah yeah thinking about this very important conversation of like asians and politics we know that our politics are so different like between ethnic groups but also within ethnic groups when i was trying to engage with like vietnamese american voters in actually orange county we can talk about (laughs) grove Yes, don't even. <laughs> I, I was I um, was a worker for the Democratic Party uh, to get out the vote in Orange County specifically. Uh-huh. You know, I was trying to learn the vocabulary related to mm. voting, Democrat, Republican, candidate. How do you say these words in Vietnamese when the motherland is literally a communist country? <laughs> they do not vote. How do you say the word ballot? Okay. Mm. So that's that's super challenging too. So my my parents didn't have that context growing up. It's not like they ever went to a polling booth. Um, it's not like they really like have this belief that my vote will be respected by these government politicians. Wow. That is like one of the reasons I feel like a lot of people commonly don't think about as to why the voter turnout amongst Asians and younger people like, well, let's just talk about like older generation Asians first is pretty low because they 
just in some countries like they're immigrating from places where they're just not accustomed to it right like it doesn't exist but i'm wondering as you've worked through you know with the party like if you've noticed any other reasons that might not be so obvious that like discourage older asians um like asian immigrants from turning out and and getting to vote yeah so uh i am a weird person in that i love paperwork and the bureaucracy <laughs> like i i see it as like God a puzzle you. yes i'm like <laughs> let's let's do this you think you can keep me away with your forms oh you've got another thing coming but <laughs> i absolutely understand that there are people that feel the absolute opposite that as as soon as they know that there are forms to be filed mm. things to mail or fax they're like mm, that doesn't exist i'm not dealing with that um and so i i think that that's part of it um with some older Asian voters of, you know, you have to either like show up at this date and time with these documents and uh, the chances are it's not going to be in a language that's accessible to you. Um, Like some states are better at this than others, but there are no states that are great at this. So if you have received your voter guide yet, or if you've looked at it, like those things are massive. Someone that's in Mm -hmm. California can be at the polling booth for like an hour, just voting, voting, voting. So the voter guide is enormous. A candidate, however, has to pay extra money, like $500 to get that in Spanish. Shouldn't that come standard? Yeah. So if you're just like running for like city council or whatever you've got to pay five hundred dollars to get it in spanish let alone right vietnamese Mm -hmm. or like an indigenous language to central america that's not a thing so if you're looking at okay there's all of this like tiny little text and i need to pick one and the only way i can differentiate these is this like enormous book in boring english (laughs) am i even gonna why would I even try? I can't yeah. imagine. So that's a huge barrier as well. But when I um, was working for the California Democrats in Orange County, I learned that um, a big uh, issue that was happening um, with the Asian community is their ballots were being rejected at a higher rate than other voters because their signatures didn't match like whatever they their signature looked like when they got their driver's license or when they registered, hmm. right? So what happens uh-huh. when when that bounces back is uh, someone's like going to look at it and be like, mm, this doesn't look like the same signature. They'll get a letter in the mail. And just like imagine like your grandma or your aunt or whatever, they get this letter in the mail and it's like, like something about voting, ballot, blah, blah, blah. Like, And they're like, what? <laughs> they're not going to go through that. Slash they may or may not understand what that says. Yeah. Yeah. So just so many hoops to jump through and not at all an accommodating system. Radical thought that that's not that radical. I'm sure everyone has thought this before. But like, given all the things that are broken in the way that our current voting system is set up, like what is the biggest roadblock do you think for like making it honestly just easier for everyone to vote in terms of like digitizing the vote? Like that would make translation so much easier. That would make like, well, 
I guess there's access issues if people don't have, you know, internet access, but like for a a large part of the population, at least it would make it so that like the barrier to entry is lower so that you don't have to like physically go anywhere and like, you don't have to get this huge packet. Like what Mm -hmm. is up? Why are we not like innovating here? Yeah. I mean, and uh, really we aren't even at the place yet where we need to innovate. We're at the place where just the foundational low lying fruit, we haven't figured out like, in the next two weeks, I'm going to tell you now, you're going to see a lot about ballot drop boxes in the news. And because like Texas right now, per county, like the, a judge ruled you can only have one per county, one drop box to serve all of Houston and all other cities and towns what? in whatever county That's that crazy. is. crazy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So like low lying fruit is get these drop boxes out there like so if someone doesn't have money for a stamp uh you know you can drop it in a drop box uh but also beyond that like you should be able to mail this without postage which is just like some states it they only have been introducing that in recent elections right oh my god i did not know that does the ballot in california not require postage no it says no postage if mailed in the u.s i have to pay for a stamp New York. Oh. It didn't say it was free. Like usually it'll say exactly what you said, right? It didn't yeah. say that on my yeah. thing. So yeah. I was like, I will put a stamp on it just to be safe. It's I only read this last night. It's still federal law that it has to make it to like where it's gonna be counted, but in that case, the county elections office has to pay for it, which mm-hmm. is, you know, support the USPS, but like, you know, just that's another barrier, right? That um, if I didn't tell Jesse that just now and, you know, he was like, I don't have a stamp because really I know so many young people that don't have stamps on them ever. Who carries so. stamps? Like you have to yeah. like, go out of your way. Yeah. Girl, what is a stamp? <laughs> Someone's going to be asking that sooner or later. True. Yep. Uh, so it's like those, um, like automatic voter registration, uh, would be another one. Um, some states have it so that like when you come of age or when you take your driver's test or you get your license, boom, you're automatically registered. But also, you know, if you're going to have like a, a voting system where it's like not absentee and you have to go to a polling place, federal holiday, you know, like, oh yeah, uh, right. Otherwise, like you have to take time off of work or whatever, mm-hmm. or, um, and if you do take time off of work, it might be unpaid voter ID. That's like, trash uh you know and again picking on texas like uh you know they, they're not even like the worst there are states that are worse than texas but you can register to vote with your like gun toting license or whatever but you cannot register to vote with your college id hmm. Uh, hmm. last i heard so th- that type of stuff like people in the black community are less likely to have formal identification than like other racial groups. And so if you just don't have like a driver's license or whatever, I guess I don't get to register to vote. Um, And so there's just also so many other attacks on voting as well. And so that's a whole nother issue that's um, more and more salient with each passing day, unfortunately. Yeah, I honestly never thought about the ID thing until like a couple of years ago when NYC started releasing the city ID and one of my friends got it. And I was like, why did you get this? 
She's like, I don't have a driver's license. I never learned how to drive. So like, I didn't have a license to transfer to New York. So I basically have no like ID that I can carry on me at all times. So she got it. But it was like, I, I it, it's something I think, as you mentioned, that's like so foundational that like nobody is really thinking about like, in terms of getting people access. I've literally never thought about it. <laughs> yeah. Until just now. And that's such a New York thing, not having a driver's license. That blew my mind. But like, (laughs) did she go to bars? You need an ID, though. Like, I don't because I have most of my New York friends don't have a driver's license, but they have a state ID for the purpose of drinking. (laughs) You know, I might be wrong. It might have been that she got like a uh, like a state identity card instead of the NYC one, but it was like not a driver's license. But it's like the first time that I've seen that because we grew up in California where everyone drives. Everyone has to have a license basically. So, yeah. (laughs) So, um, aside from the realities of what you're working with right now, what are like, what are like the favorite parts of what you do now? And like, how did you fall into it? Politics has always been something that I knew was incredibly important. Like, don't talk to me about the mitochondria of a cell. I could care less. I really could care less because, you know, what is important, um, you know, the fact that my, like, grandparents and all of us, we have to drive an hour uh, plus on the weekends to get to the immigration office. And, like, why do these family members, like, have a green card, whereas, like, we don't and just, like, that kind of BS or, you know, going to really struggling schools or, you know, my, my uh, siblings and I were all uh, Head Start kids, free lunch every year we went to school. And so I knew how important it was because I saw um, the direct impact and consequences in just like multiple times throughout my day. Um, so I kind of, I always knew I wanted to work in policy in some way, but I, I always knew I was not going to be a politician. Um, and and so that's where the I didn't know that this existed kind of comes into play. Um, you know, having grown up in like the just like the, the Section 8 housing, the really rough part of my hometown, like I remember uh, being asked, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, like, hairdresser, not particularly <laughs> because I wanted to be a hairdresser, but because I had never met a PhD before. Mm-hmm. I had never met a lawyer before. I had never met an accountant before. Like, my, fa- my family, like, didn't make enough money to file taxes. Like, what mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know what a CPA was. And so it was like, I wanted to be a hairdresser. I wanted to be a firefighter. Um, and so you cannot be what you cannot see. And so it wasn't until I got to college that I was like, oh, there are people who work in policy who aren't politicians. Okay. (laughs) And then like, oh, there's such thing as education policy. And then there's people that like are just like really, really bookish and nerdy. And that's their job is to be really smart about policy and tell people (laughs) that they should do this. Like, yes, that is me. And so how I ended up here with like doing the non-politics of politics and doing the behind the scenes work is just eventually orbiting what it was that I wanted to do for long enough that eventually I landed here. What I like about my work is I think that what I do has like direct consequences on people's lives, you know? And yeah, like that 
that kind of goes back to like why I said when I was a little kid, right, I, I was passionate about politics is like this is important. I, I still feel like I'm contributing towards uh, these super, super like critical, unjust aspects um, and serving like marginalized people that I didn't see served growing up. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, I really liked what you said about you can't be what you can't see. So um, going along with that, like once this world did open up to you and you like had a better idea of all the different career paths that you could take within the world of policy or grander politics, right? Like, like I don't know what's under the hood in terms of like government um, employment. So are there a lot of Asians that work in policy and like do you see people that you're like oh I like I feel represented or I feel like I'm going to be embraced because I see people who look like me like how much of that exists yeah it's tough we're pretty few and far between um and you know I could even go so far to say that like it's there's a gender aspect too Mm. that makes all of this even more challenging. So I want to talk about like Congress and how this plays out there of, you know, people of color um, are very, very underrepresented in the halls of Congress. The problem is even worse, even more disgusting when you look at the people who work for the members of Congress. My goodness, it's only been in the last like three, four years that they even started collecting data on like the racial composition of um, these staff. And I swear there are Senate offices, there are like committee offices where upwards of 95% of the staff is white. Mm. And it's just like, how is it that, you know, these people that make such consequential decisions that affect people of color that affect people who aren't white men just aren't even in the room, like not even a little bit for like many, many years. Um, And, you know, that's not something that gets a lot of either like attention or people aren't aware of it because why would you be? And like, even if you wanted to be aware of it, like they only started, um, you know, recording and publishing this information recently. Um, And the, you know, it's like the Senate diversity initiative and the House diversity initiative. Um, This data, they even break it down by senior staff. Because look, don't count your intern. You don't even pay them, right? You can't say you have an intern of color and like, oh yeah, we're so diverse. Uh (laughs) No. So yeah, like that's, that's the unfortunate next step is like, just because you see something that you can be doesn't mean they're going to welcome you. Doesn't mean they're ready for you. And, you know, it's, uh, there, there are consequences to our government not reflecting the people that they serve. Just, I remember working in Congress and, you know, our member of Congress, like represented parts of three boroughs of New York City, had been in office for decades and no part of their website was available in a language other than English. You know what I mean? (laughs) And like people reach out to this member of Congress for like, you're supposed to call them for if you have issues with the post office, you're supposed to call them if you have issues with like immigration, you're supposed to call them like they, this is a representative democracy. They're supposed to be your voice in Congress. But if you go to the website, it's like, 
oh, go over here for a flag request. Go over here to like, you know, contact me for this or whatever. And it's like, mm, no, come on, y'all. You just need a Google drop down. That's all you got to do. Why? So just if, you know, all of the staff in your office are from the Northeast, private school educated, um, way upper middle income, then they're not going to think about whether or not this website is in a language other than English and how that looks and what it takes to get it in a language other than English, for sure. How much do you think of that is like this boys club kind of situation versus like Asians don't think about this kind of career path? Like, I kind of feel like it's both probably. Yeah, it's both. And maybe if you had asked me before I worked in Congress, I would have said it's a little bit more balanced, the the two uh, contributing reasons there. But having worked in Congress now, I know that it's a lot more because of how exclusionary mm. and like exclusive um, politics can be. So you, if you want to work on the Hill, generally you have to work as an unpaid, unpaid, zero paid intern for many, many months until you become a underpaid staff assistant. (laughs) And when you are an underpaid staff assistant, you are required to own a car to drive your member of your boss around, your member of Congress around. And so it's like, how do you think I saved up for this car and gas and uh, in like, Uh, insurance when you haven't been paying me for a year Uh, and let alone if I have like student loans, whatever. Um, And everyone knows like DC is super expensive to live there. And so even if it isn't like nepotism, like outright nepotism, it's stuff like that. Mm. Um, Or, you know, yeah, I've seen the, it where, you know, Oh, the, this person is a huge funder to this member of Congress. And so like, just go ahead and give Tommy like a, an internship, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, so yeah, a lot of people will say, oh, these people aren't applying. Um, Like, I wonder why that is, because my parents can't like underwrite me living in DC for like, with no income for like 18 months. Yeah, maybe that's why they're not applying. Okay, well, on that happy note, (laughs) let's push into something fun. We're going to transition into our closing fortune cookie section because we like to end on a sweet treat. Um, Since it is very clear that you are very passionate about what you do and you've done a lot of really important work, we want to ask you, what is the initiative that you've pushed that you're like most proud of? I was pretty proud of like getting that website translated. You know, it it took a really long time for me to, you know, I had been working on the Hill probably like six plus months at that point. And I I kid you not, it could not have been from like a Monday to the like two Fridays later, like a paycheck period. It could not have taken me longer than that to get a Google dropdown bar on the website and like find someone working on the Hill who would translate content for free. It did not take longer than that. And I'm like, y'all, I just got here. It took me like, <laughs> someone clearly could have done this a really, really long time ago. So um, in, in any job, sometimes you don't get to see the fruits of your labor in a super tangible way. Um, that would 
be one of them. While I may not be like a governor or something like that, there are places where, um, you know, I can do that thing where I'm like, hey, what about this? Hey, what about like, what if we had our website? Just, you know, making my voice heard there because one of the many reasons why like lack of representation is terrible is because you know someone that doesn't have experiences similar to ours just they're not going to think about like this issue in a certain way or um, just think about uh, you know how something could or should be done differently so um, yeah just kind of being the squeaky the squeaky wheel. And because maybe like we're so behind where we need to be in representative politics right now, I'm like able to see the progress pretty quickly sometimes. Hmm. I think that's really cool what you said, because I feel like a lot of people are fixated on, I mean, most people are usually fixated on the larger things that people are doing in the government, right? Like you're talking about your like top billing things, but I, I know I do and many other people do forget like there are like huge swaths of people doing like other work that may not be as visible, as cool or as flashy, but it's still like just as much needed and necessary for other people to get what they need. Yeah. Something I had to remember also working in Congress is like incremental change is still change. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't, I think this was Cory Booker that said this, you can't let your inability to do everything keep you from doing something Hmm. well if you enjoy this episode or you have feedback or you have questions for anna write us in at tell us where you're from at gmail.com the your is y-o-u-r-e we'd love to hear what you think about our asian doing cool shit from today awesome and thank you anna for joining us this was a really fun conversation yeah super fun thanks for having me yeah and See you next week again for a new episode. Until next time. Ciao, Ciao, bitches. bitches. And FYI, that was Vietnamese. (laughs) Bye.